Okay, we are still in the book of 1 Kings in our King series. Uh, and I'm going to give you a brief recap because that's how I roll. But uh, for the last few weeks, we have been discussing how uh, Israel was divided. Now, Solomon's son Rehoboam became king uh, and continually rejected God. He was just a terrible king and a terrible person, right? So God divided his kingdom into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms. Now, the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. Now, the, the king of Judah was Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and the king of Israel was Jeroboam. No relation. Sounds like it should be, but no relation. Now, both kings were completely evil, both kings were godless, and both kings worshipped idol gods. Okay, so there was nothing good really to say about either one of these two kings. But the one thing they did have in common was they both were fully committed to rejecting God. And it's not like God didn't give them chances. I mean, time and time again, he would send warnings and prophets, and they just continually rejected them. They wouldn't take their second chances. They were committed to just rejecting God, right? Now, today we're going to start taking a look at kind of a different era. We'll start with Rehoboam's son, uh, Abijam, is actually going to secede him as king of Judah. But unfortunately, we're going to find that like father, like son, Abijam was just as bad as his father was. Now, the thing that kind of brings hope in this message is that, that, that Judah is about to enter this new era of leadership. Because they're, ha- they're going to have a new king coming in after Abijam that's going to really do something miraculous. right? Because miraculously, Rehoboam's grandson is going to be the one that brings real change. He was nothing like Rehoboam, nothing like his father Abijam. He was completely, completely different. I mean, first of all, the cool thing was his name is spelled the same way, forward or backwards. His name is Asa. Right? So that's like the coolest name ever, spelled the same both ways. Right? But second of all, when he became king... He made a decision that he was going to restore uh, and reform Judah. See, he actually wanted to turn the kingdom's heart back to God, right? Now, if Asa had a campaign slogan, it would have been, make Judah great again. Okay, I came up with that all on my own, (laughs) right? So that's the title of today's message because that's exactly what he did. Uh, And today I think you're going to discover that one person can actually make a difference for God. I mean, it's actually true. One person can make a difference. Because anyone who's fully dedicated to God, there's really nothing impossible to them when they're trying to serve God. Uh, Remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. So, I mean, there's nothing impossible, and we're going to see that today. So I really hope uh, that his story inspires you. Now, let's jump right in. 1 Kings chapter 15. We're going to be in 1 Kings, and we're going to be in 2 Chronicles, because, to be honest with you, Chronicles does a better job telling about the lives than Kings does. So we're going to jump to that eventually. So let's look at 1 Kings 15, starting in verse 1. It says, now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Abijam became the king over over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Mekah, uh, the daughter of Absalom, which is actually Absalom. Uh, He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, the Lord... Uh, Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise uh, up his son after him and establish a Jerusalem. Now, a lamp just meant that he was going to have an influence or a presence in Jerusalem, okay, because of David. It said, because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except for the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now, this is when David took Bathsheba from Uriah the Hittite. It's kind of funny, they, they mention it in passing. That was really a big deal. I mean, they were talking, he killed many people to get him. We'll look at that in a little bit. Uh, 
But there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam, and Abijam slept with his fathers or died, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, became king in his place. So again, Rehoboam has a son, and his son takes his place, and his son is named Abijam. Now, as you'd expect, he was just as evil as his dad. I mean, it really didn't matter which one was king. They were both evil. They were both godless. But you think about it. His entire life, he grew up watching his dad reject God and worship idol gods. I mean, it almost, it's almost sad he didn't have a whole lot of chance, it would seem, because he was raised watching that his entire life, right? So despite all that, despite the fact that he was evil, his dad was evil, despite all that, God was still going to let them remain kings because he promised King David that he would always have someone on the throne. So that's why he allowed the kingdom of Judah to still remain. Right now, one thing I think is interesting here, and the first thing I want to take a look at, is kind of this description of David in chapter 15. And it kind of explains why, you know, why it seems a little passive, how they describe that. 1 Kings 15, 5 says, Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now, we see that and we think, well, that's a big deal, but there's a point he's trying to make here, right? And he did that to remind people David wasn't perfect, okay? He wasn't sinless, and, and that's not what God expected from him, because David sinned just like any human does. But here's the difference between David and most other people. David was quick to repent. When David did something wrong, when he would, when he would lose his way, as soon as it was pointed out to him, he was quick to just drop his pride and own up to his sin. You don't see David making a lot of excuses or trying to justify himself. When it was pointed out to him or when it was revealed to him that he was in sin, he'd just own up to it. He didn't make excuses. He just owned up to it. So I think that's kind of what they were trying to say here. They were trying to say, yeah, David was righteous. And I know you guys are all thinking about what he did to Uriah and how he took Bathsheba from Uriah. But know this, as soon as the prophet pointed it out to him, he repented, and he had to pay for his sin. So that's kind of why they, why they mention that. And it, there's a real good lesson there because it's no shame to slip up and sin. Listen, everybody sins. And I know that's probably one of the toughest things for Christians to admit, but we might as well just get used to it because everyone sins. It's going to happen. We all sin. There's no shame in the fact that you slip up and sin. That's why we needed Jesus. The shame is when you allow that sin to start defining you. That means that your, your pride swells up and you refuse to admit that it's sin. You ever met somebody in that condition? You're just saying, just stop. But they don't want to admit that they're wrong. They don't want to admit that what they're doing is sin. They, they make excuses. That's the shame. Not the fact that you fall into sin. The shame is when you stay there long enough to allow it to just define you. And that being said, I mean, Abijam wasn't remorseful at all. He was allowing his sin to define him. He had no interest in God. He wasn't remorseful. He took no opportunity to change his life. He didn't want to do anything that would please God. So, I mean, his life was pretty rough. Okay, now, here's the thing. God knew that his reign was going to be temporary. There's just not a lot recorded about it. And people say, well, why isn't there more about him recorded? Well, I mean, what's there to, what's there to record? You read about Jeroboam, you read about him. I mean, he was a awful king he was godless and he was evil and everything was status quo from where it was with his father he was just a terrible king and there's just not a lot written about him just not 
Now, I don't want to make it sound like God said, yeah, you're a terrible king. I'll just bide my time until the next king comes. Okay, God didn't, you know, didn't overlook his sin. All right, that, that's not what happened. Abijam paid for his sin. What we do know is that he had a really rough life as king. He was constantly at war, and he never had any peace whatsoever, right? And other than that, we don't have any details, but that's what, that's what we got, right? Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that life is tough for those who reject God. still is. And I don't know about you, but when I know I'm doing something wrong, things start going wrong for me as long as I fight it. They do. These things start going wrong for me, and the Bible tells us that's the way it's going to be. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is what? It's hard. It's hard trying to live against God's will. Because listen, yes, God is patient, and God is forgiving, but above all, God is just. He couldn't be God if he overlooked sin, and that's why sin makes our life so rough. Right, and sin, you know, Paul talked about the consequences of sin in Galatians, and this is true then, it's still true now. He says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, what? This he will also reap. Sin has consequences. But for some reason, that's one lesson that is really hard for us to learn, and generally we have to learn it the hard way. And here's what it makes me think of, just because I have a weird mind. Have you ever seen a bird that got trapped in a room? Anybody ever see that? And they just fly around and smack into everything. And you're like, gosh, stupid bird. So you go open up a window and a door. And you're like, there, there's your way out. But the bird like, totally ignores the open door and the open window and keeps slamming into walls, slamming into the closed windows. And you're thinking, man, what an idiot. Do they never learn? Is this starting to make sense to you? Yeah, I mean, think about this for a second. When I do something wrong, and I, something I know I'm not supposed to, I, 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 I feel like that bird. Because... I keep slamming into walls, and I keep slamming into closed doors over and over again, never looking for the doors that God's opening for me, right? Because I want to do it my way. My pride's too big. I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong, right? So I'll just keep slamming into walls, and finally, after my will and my pride break, which takes a while, I just confess my sin, and God sets me free. This is a lot like what Abijam's life was like, except we never saw that he ever confessed his sin he was just slamming into walls and slamming into closed doors and slamming into closed windows because he rejected god like his father's and he was just like this trapped bird and it's sad but we don't see any evidence that he ever changed he probably died in that condition right and that's really sad so listen but you know before i move on and we start talking about you know the good things coming with asa if you ever find yourself in that position to where you know there's something in your life you need to get rid of and you're not getting rid of it, and you just find that you keep slamming into walls, and everything's going wrong, and everywhere you turn it seems like God's closing a door on you, let me, let me just let you in on a little secret. It's not going to get better because God's not going to change his mind. If there's sin in your life, that's why times are hard for you, and they will remain hard until you say, I'm wrong. And confess your sin. And when you do that, he'll set you free. And it's just amazing that we fight it because it's not like he makes you do anything else. Just confess that sin and he sets you free. Abijam could never do that. I just don't understand, knowing what we know about Jesus, why we want to be like him and stay in our sin. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. 
I mean, when you look back and you see these people and how they rejected God, and you think, gosh, how dumb are they? I mean, we're, we kind of do the same thing. And we know all about grace, something they weren't as familiar with as we are. Right? So, I mean, that's really all the Bible has to say about him. So let's move on. Finally, we get to see a righteous king. 1 Kings 15, 9. It, so, it says, so in the twelfth year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king of Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Mekah, the daughter of Absalom. Uh, Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David, his father. Now, when he says David, his father, that doesn't mean literal. That's what they called a lot of his descendants. They would, call, they would look back at David as the father or the kind of the patriarch, right? So it had been a long time since Judah, or Israel for that matter, as a whole, had seen someone with a heart like King David. It had been a long, long time. It would kind of be like right now if we actually had a leader somewhere in this world that cared about Jesus. <laughs> It'd shock everybody to death. But, I mean, this was, this, was t- this was strange for them. They had never seen this. Right? But when Asa became king of Judah, they actually had someone who had a heart for God like King David had. And that's amazing to me that he developed that love for God because remember who his dad was? His dad was Abijam. His dad was a terrible, evil, idol-worshiping king, just like his grandfather. I mean, generations of idolatry, and yet here comes this one bright light out of this genealogy, right? And, and what that shows you and what that proves to us is that God can reach anyone, anywhere, no matter what their circumstances. Here's the only thing God requires, that God just requires that you have a heart that wants to know him. And if you want to know him, he'll find you. And he'll introduce himself. And he'll develop that relationship with you. That's all he requires. Right? Because Asa Asa was raised with ignorance and yet God found him. So Asa takes the throne during Jeroboam's 20th year. Okay, Jeroboam reigned 21 years in Israel. He took the throne during his 20th year. Right? Now, Judah had three kings during Jeroboam's reign. But this was the first one. That was actually faithful to God that he was going to have to deal with. This was a whole new strategy he was going to have to come up with, right? Now, ironically, Asa's name actually means healer, which is kind of funny because healing was what he was going to bring to Judah. And we're going to see that he didn't waste any time making some big changes, some changes that were really brave because, you know, he not only had David's heart and his love for God, he had David's courage. He did some things that took huge courage. Let's take a look at this. 1 Kings 15, 12. It says, he also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Mekah, his mother, from being queen mother. Did you hear what he just did? You talk about brave. You talk about brave. It says that he removed Mekah, his mother, from being queen mother because she made a horrid image as an Asherah or a pole that they used in worship uh, to idol gods. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. That's brave. Basically, he walks in and says, you're fired. You can't be queen anymore. And give me all your stupid idols. I'm going to go burn them in front of everybody down by the river. This is, this is what he did. Okay? So, <laughs> this took some guts. Verse 14. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. He brought into the house of the Lord... Uh, uh, the dedicated things of his father uh, and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. Okay, now Second Chronicles kind of gives us a little better look at that if you look in verse 9 in Second Chronicles 15. 
It says, And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and all those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon uh, who rested with them. For many, listen, defected to him. That means they, they moved there from Israel when they saw the Lord uh, his God was with him. Okay, so think about this for a second. What's going on? The big changes that's happening here. First of all, big enough change, he's saying, I'm done with these idols. There's only one God. I'm done with them. We're going to get rid of all of them. We're going to burn them down, right? And he was making such radical changes that the people in the other kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, under Jeroboam's rule, saw that and actually defected to Judah. They moved, which was a dangerous thing, right? Because the king didn't want people leaving. He didn't want his subjects leaving. That was where he got his taxes, right? But they left Israel to be where Asa was. Because they had heard that Asa was committed. They'd heard that he was tearing down the idols. They probably heard that he fired the queen mother and burned her stuff. And they knew that God was with him. And evidently, they wanted to be part of a kingdom ran like that. And I think sometimes we, we sell the people of Israel short because they went along with what the kings were doing. But a lot of those people wanted to worship God. They just didn't know what to do. I mean, when, when a king makes an order, you have to follow it, right? So a lot of them saw this, and they, and they moved, and that had to rub Jeroboam the wrong way and the king of Israel the wrong way. It had to just make him mad. And we'll, but that's a whole new story. We'll look at that next week. But one thing I, I want to talk about here is Asa's life kind of reveals what happens when someone actually draws near to God. See, there's some things that happen. There's two really noticeable things that happen when someone actually dedicates their life to God. And you'll see it's pretty much without exception. The first thing that you'll notice when you dedicate your life to God, when you draw near to Him, the first thing you're going to notice is that He also draws near to you. We don't have one of those gods that, that rejects people, that looks at your past or looks at your pedigree. We have a God that just desires that you want to know Him. That's all, that's all He asks. James 4, 8, just the first part there says, Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you, and that's what was happening. Asa was leading people back to God, and God was blessing him, and it was spreading like wildfire. People were hearing, this guy's legitimately dedicated to God. Now, the second thing that happens, and it's really noticeable when you start drawing near to God, is that when you draw close to God, other people will draw close to you. This is something that happens. Matthew 5 talks about it, verse 14. Jesus said, you are what? The light of the world. Okay, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I, I love this, because people saw Asa's light. They heard about all he had done. They saw his light and were willing to put their lives at risk and defect from Israel just to be near that light. Listen, when you allow God's love to work in you, it draws people to God through you. It just does. And I'll bet you if you think back in your life, there's someone that you saw the love of God in that drew you to God. The way they acted, the way they spoke, the way they loved people, the way you know, they loved Jesus, something about them inspired you, and I guarantee that was a major factor in drawing you to God. We all have that person in our minds, don't we? Mine was my bus driver of all people. You know, I think I've told you guys that before. I couldn't believe that woman put up with me. I was like the most evil kid ever. But she just displayed to me the love of Jesus, and I never forgot that. 
And the first time I decided to start searching for God, I walk into a church, and you'd think it's a coincidence that in the front row is sitting the woman who was a bus driver for my bus growing up. Right? It's just amazing. Everyone has someone in their life that has drawn near to God. God has drawn near to them, and because the love that dwells in them, it draws you to them. Everybody has that person, and, and Asa was becoming that person. People were wanting to be near him because they wanted to be near God again. Right? Now, verses 10 through 14 here in 2 Chronicles make it just obvious that no one could question his commitment. It kind of elaborates on what we read earlier. Uh, 2 Chronicles 15.10 says, So they assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. They sacrificed to the Lord that day 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. That's a lot of blood. Can you imagine? I mean, yeah, that's disgusting, but... Can you imagine all the porterhouse steaks laying around and New York strips laying all over the ground? But we're talking, this is a massive, massive sacrificing session. This is a big act of worship he put on. Verse 12, uh, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, uh, God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. But, you know, these were the people that were rejecting God, you know. This is showing his dedication. He was so committed that he's saying, you're either with, with me or you're against me, right? In verse 14, it says, Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice shouting with, with trumpets and with horns. Okay, so Asa had obviously decided and had set his heart on God, and he just decided he was going to drain the swamp in Judah. Came up with that, too. Just saying, right? Right, now, so... Asa actually rid Judah of all the sexual immorality, all this cult prostitutes and stuff. He says, okay, and he, and he runs them out. He says, we're done with that. Gets rid of them, right? Just pushes that stuff out. He removes that. He removes all the idolatry, anything that looked like idolatry. He didn't get all the high places down. There was a lot to do, but he got rid of all the stuff in Judah, got rid of the idol gods, even when it came to his mother. Now, I want to explain something, just in case one of you guys are those history buffs, but history shows that Mekah was probably not his mother, it was probably his grandmother, okay? But at that time, and I agree with this, who raises the kid is considered a mother. And I'll be, I'm sorry, I, you can be a mom and not be a mom, but it takes the, a real mom to raise a child and love it like its own, right? So for all of her flaws, evidently she raised him, so she's referred to as his mother, it was actually his grandmother. I mean, that's all great, except... He didn't play favorites at all. Can you imagine? She's probably thinking, oh, my grandson is going to be king. I am going to have it made. And he comes in and goes, yeah, give me your idol gods, old lady. And then he just takes everything out, burns it publicly. People knew whose that was, and fires her. He doesn't allow her to be queen anymore. I mean, you talk about cleaning house, no favorites. He literally says, you're not going to do this. I can't look weak. You're going to be just as part, big a part of the swamp draining as anybody else. Because it was kind of a spit in the face, I think, that she brought idols in and had them made when he was doing this reformation anyway. So he said, you're done, and absolutely fires it. I mean, that definitely got him off the Christmas card list. But, I mean, I don't know about you guys and how your families work, but usually going after the matriarch in the family isn't the smartest idea. Right? But this just shows his dedication here. Right? I mean, this is just his dedication. Now, the thing I think a lot of people look over here is that he took all of his and his father's gold and silver and the idols that had been made, and a lot of that stuff was probably stuff they had 
you know, they had taken as a result of winning wars. It was, you know, the spoils of war they had over the years. He takes all those things, all this wealth, all this gold, all this silver, and he takes it to the house of the Lord and dedicates it. I mean, have we read about a king in the last, I don't know, month that cared so little about personal wealth that they gave everything to the Lord? Yet this is what we see, everything. He devoted it all back to God. And here's something you're going to find in life. If you want to check someone's commitment, follow the money. That sounds strange, but it's true. Follow the money. Because how you spend your time, your treasure, and your talent reveals your priorities and the desires of your heart. It just does. With, without fail, it does. Right? If you want to know what someone's dedicated to, see how they spend their time, how they spend their treasure, right? what they do with their talents. What they dedicate that to, that's their treasure. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. He says, Store treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Right? And this is so true. And you know, it, it, it's funny, whenever I preach something about anything having to do with what you do with your time, treasure, and talent, people get mad at me. Why is that? I can preach about, I can insult their mother, and they're good. You know, I can say something about their family, they're good. I say something about what they do with their money, and they are emailing me and putting stuff on Facebook about me that I don't read. You know? Why is it? Because this, this is really how you test someone's dedication. They can say they're dedicated, but are they dedicated if it costs them anything, if they have to sacrifice anything, right? Here we have a king who is willing to give his time, his talent, and his treasure completely to God. The first time they had seen that in years. Can you imagine what the people of Israel are thinking? They went from kings that were bringing in all different idols, thousands of idols and worshiping him and having all this godless immorality around them. And then now they got this king who's serious about God, giving everything to God demanding that everyone else give everything to God. I tell you, this is if there's one thing this teaches you is we should be praying for our leaders. We really should be praying for our leaders. I don't care what your political party is. Mine is nothing. My political affiliation is Jesus. Right? But listen, I don't care who wins, who doesn't win. I always pray, God, please turn their heart back to you because I know one, just one person in a leadership position who gets their heart turned toward God, can make such a huge difference in a country, in a town, in a community. One person. I mean, Asa proves that. Just one person who says, I'm, I'm not going to be like everybody else. I'm not going to do the things all the other politicians do. I'm not going to do the things the other leaders do. I'm going to seek after God. I don't care what the consequences are. I'm going to seek after God. And if you can just get one person to do that. And, it, it, you know, it kind of frustrates me because when we watch you know, the social media and stuff. Christian people just drag themselves into all these battles and arguments, you know. And when they're done, they have made enemies and fools of themselves, you know. Reposting stupid comments and posting stupid comments they come up with on their own, right? And, and at the end of the day, they've solved nothing. They've drawn no one closer to Jesus, and they've pulled themselves farther away from people they could have reached for Jesus. When, you know what we should really be doing? It's okay to have different political views. It's fine. That's what the country was built on. But instead of posting 
maybe we should be praying. Instead of posting our anger and posting our discontentment and posting about, you know, who we'd like and who we don't like, hey, how about you pray for who's there right now, for whoever comes next, that their hearts would be turned back to God and that maybe they could reform this country like Asa reformed Judah. Okay, because that, that's dramatic. There's nothing a leader could do to be that dramatic as what happened here. One man. It's obvious his family wasn't with him, right? He had to fire his grandma. It kind of sounds bad when you say it that way, doesn't it? But, I mean, he had to fire his grandma. But look at the change he made. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 15, 15. It says, All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and sought him earnestly, and he let them find him. So the Lord gave them what? Rest on every side. Listen, when you break it all down at the end of the day, and this doesn't matter what country you live in, it doesn't matter, you know, what town you live in, it doesn't matter what your culture is, here's, here's what it boils down to. Everyone alive really just desires peace, don't we? I mean, that's what we desire. Does anybody lay around and go, man, I hope I can spend my formidable years arguing and fighting with my neighbors? Does anybody do that? I hope I have financial conflict my last day. Nobody does that. Everyone, everywhere, wants peace. They want to have peace of mind. That's the goal, isn't it? To be at peace. And, and I want to list some of the common things that, that people believe are going to bring that peace. And you can, you know, fill in the blanks on how much they dedicate themselves to it. First of all, knowing that, that we and our families are safe and provided for, I think everybody thinks that will bring them peace. Am I right? Wouldn't you say that? Anybody here saying they don't want that? You know what I mean? Everybody wants to provide for their family. They want to protect their family. Fine. Here's another one. Knowing that we can retire comfortably gives us peace. How many people believe that? You agree with that? Anybody here say, I hope I go broke when I retire? No. Right? Nobody says, you know, I'm not planning for when I retire. I want to be impoverished and beg for my living. No. People want to have the peace of knowing that they can retire. Here's the third one. There's a ton I could list, but knowing we're going to have a lifelong companion. It's peaceful knowing that you have someone to share life with, isn't it? I mean, it's valuable. Listen, I don't think people understand how valuable it is. Those of you who are obsessed with your kids and your whole life is your kids, you're going to have a rough time later. I always tell people, make sure the most important person in your life is your spouse, because after your kids have gone on and made their own lives, that's who you have to look across the table at. Right? <laughs> think about this. 18, 19 years, if you're lucky, they're done with you. Some of you maybe 30, 40 years, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but 18, 19, 20 years, whatever it is, and they go off to college and decide to do their own thing, they're done with you. And you're left with someone that better be close to you, that better be your best friend, that better mean the world to you. Everyone wants to have that life partner that brings us peace, right? And now th listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. They should, they should bring us peace, right? There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the one thing that always blows my mind that no one seems to be that concerned with anymore is where you're going to spend eternity. You talk about wanting to have a peaceful retirement, I want to have a peaceful eternity, don't you? I want to know when I die, everything's okay. And I know that. People say you can't know that. You can, and I do. Am I perfect? No. Do I make mistakes? Yes, there's my wife. She's got them written down. 
right? Yes, I make mistakes. But I know that I've accepted Jesus Christ and I have eternal life. It's okay to seek peace and all those other things, but those things can't be prioritized over having peace with God. They just can't be. Because I'm telling you, I have been at the bedside of so many people who have left this world, the toughest part of my job. Write that and seeing people marry someone I know is going to fail. But anyway, toughest part of my job is seeing people leave this world. And it will shock you how they don't want to talk about anything but that if it's not settled already. Nothing. Nothing. People say, oh, aren't they worried about their family? No, they're not. Because when death is inevitable and they're facing it, there's something hardwired into all of us that says you better make it right, and that's all they're worried about. That has to be a priority in our lives. And here's the thing is sometimes people think that prioritizing God first hinders those other things I mentioned. Because I've had people tell me that. They're like, well, I don't have time to serve God right now, you know, because I'm really trying to save up, make sure I have a retirement, I have to work as much as I can. Like God, serving God is one or the other. If you serve God, you've got to die broke. I mean, no, that's, not what, that's not what it says. Right? I mean, well, I, I want to serve God, but right now I'm just busy looking for a mate. <laughs> like God hinders that. If the person doesn't want to be with you because of God, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't be with them. I mean, people think, well, you know what? I kind of want to be able to, you know, have a good life and be able to provide for my family. And they think that seeking God first is going to hinder that. That's the mindset that people have, is that making God a priority hinders the things that are important that bring peace in our life. And nothing could be farther from the truth. I don't know if you realize this, but that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think, if you serve God, you're never going to get a man. You're never going to get a woman. He wants you to think that, and you laugh, but it's true. I've heard people say, listen, I'm going to back away for a little bit. I don't think women want a Christian. I'm like, well, then you don't want them. You know, think about this for a second. I've had people tell me that. I've had people bring these things up to me. They actually believe, and the enemy loves it when you believe this, because he knows that a lot of people die before they ever achieve the things they think will bring peace. Or a lot of people get those things and find out they still don't have peace, but he doesn't tell them that. Right? And the enemy wants you to believe that so that you will die before you find out the truth. But the truth is, when you make God your number one priority, all the other things you're worried about, he takes care of. Did you know that? This might shock you, but God doesn't want you to die penniless. You know, God can help you to make a living. You know, he did create the world in six days. He's got some pull, right? You know, God can help you find a mate, and I wish more people would realize that. Because usually within two years, they realize God certainly didn't send that one. Right? God can help you have peace in your retirement. All the things that you, you think God interferes with God actually, when he's priority, enhances. I think Asa's life is evidence of that, isn't it? He made God a number one priority, and it says that they prospered and had peace on all sides. You don't see anywhere where he was meeting with his financial advisor, do you? He was tearing down idols, firing his grandma. <laughs> I got to quit saying it. it sounds so bad that way. But that's what happened. He was doing the things that God wanted him to do to make that nation turn back, and he yet God made sure he had peace while he was doing those things. That is so important. Look at this, Matthew six thirty one. Jesus said, Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, or unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows 
that you need all these things. Did you hear that? God knows what you need. Did you know that? For some reason, we act like he doesn't know that. He knows what you need. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, what? Will be added to you. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Make God number one in the things that bring peace to your life. He will make sure that you have. If you have the Prince of Peace as priority one in your life. And Asa's life proves that. Up to this point, he is a prime example of that. Now, next week we're going to take a look at, at what happens when Asa pulls his eyes off God a little bit. I don't want to freak you out. He still dies, you know, still in with God. But next week he's going to kind of be an illustration of what happens when you take your eyes off God a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick that up next week. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation, and it's brief, but I just want there to be an opportunity. If someone wants me to pray for them, I want to I pray for you. If you're not sure where you stand or you just, have, you just want me to pray for you, just make eye contact with me, put your head right back down, bless those people, and I'm, I'll pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down. I don't do that stuff. I don't believe in the pressure tactics. I just know that prayer is powerful. And if you're watching online or listening, God knows your heart. You know, believers, I, I also want to pray for us as we close here because, you know, it seems like every day I get more discouraged about our position in this world. Because I, I read about things like what Asa did in a completely pagan society. How one man stood up and made that much of a difference, and I keep thinking, where are God's people right now? Where are the voices of light and hope? Where are the prayer warriors? Where are the people who are not shaken by circumstances, but believe that God will make a change and trust him no matter who's in office? Where are they at? So that's when I would pray for us. I want us to be like Asa, sold out, making God priority number one. Because I can't even imagine what would happen if a bunch of us were to do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do, for your mercy, for your grace. I'm amazed that you can love me. I'm amazed that you can make something so amazing like heaven and the promise of eternal life free. It just doesn't make sense that you could love someone like us, but I'm so thankful that you do. And God, I, I just pray if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I know that the enemy has whispered in their ears for years they have to earn your love or earn your forgiveness and nothing could be farther from the truth your word tells us that whoever believes has eternal life if they can just trust that what jesus did was enough your word says they'll have eternal life let's pray that they would make that decision today lord and if they do contact us and and for those of us who are already believers it's so easy to take our eyes off what matters to take our focus off what matters God, no matter who's king, who's president, who's in parliament, who's in Congress, you're the king. You're in control of all things. Give us a heart to make you priority one. To make our focus be on serving you. And our allegiance and our faithfulness be first to you. God, make us the kind of people that make the changes we see in the lives of the patriarchs like Asa. Make us difference makers through our faith and our trust in you. I just pray, God, as we leave here that you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. 
If you don't return to take us home before we meet again, I just pray that you'd bless us to come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.